0: You're listening to another episode of the Young Investors Podcast, so sit back and relax as myself, Brandon and my buddy Hamish discuss the latest in the world of finance and stock market investing. Now a quick reminder before we get into the podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be taken on as personal financial advice. If you're ever unsure about your finances or investing and you need some help, make sure you reach out to a qualified financial advisor. But with all that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. All right, everyone, we are back. Welcome back. Actually, welcome back, Hamish hotter <sighs> You're back. You. I'm back, back, back. I'm better now, a little bit. Yeah. yeah,
1: I'm mostly better now. Oh my god, what an ordeal over the past uh, couple of weeks. Um, yeah. It's funny. It's funny because I want to talk about uh, a little bit about New Zealand, which was so incredible, but it's also kind of overshadowed by um, by the week that kind of followed it.
0: Yeah. First of um, all, we do have to apologize for the podcast not being here last week. Um, I know we we I, were thinking we were thinking about pushing through, but like Hamish was so sick yeah. that we were just like, "Look, dude, just just rest up." And I think honestly. Yeah. You guys, if we had done a podcast, you guys would have picked up on it as well because Hamish was just in a bad way. Yeah, um, I, I could so go. Thought we'd just postpone yeah, it and y- yeah,
1: yeah. I, I apologise for that, and we we I jinxed it as well because the week before I literally said, "How good has it been that we've never missed an episode in the yeah. past like eighteen
0: months or something?" So yeah. Um,
1: we actually yeah, had a comment on
0: this. Yeah. Um, one of the comments in response to what you said on that podcast was Hey, fellas, great to listen. Um, if you missed, uh, yeah, great to listen to you as usual this Saturday morning. If you missed one, it would indeed uh, ir- irretrievably ruin my <laughs> my weekend. So so we've ruined uh, someone's I do, weekend. <laughs> I do have to apologize um, um, to you, good sir, that we, we have indeed ruined your weekend last weekend. So, yeah, I do, I do apologize. Uh, our for apologies. That. But, Hopefully it doesn't no. happen again. That was the first one we've missed in a very, very long time.
1: Yeah, and to, and to give you some context, I came back from New Zealand at the beginning of the week and I'd already been a little bit sick over there. I had kind of like a flu over there. And I came back and I think just the adrenaline of uh, coming back from a holiday or whatever, uh, I, I started to think I was feeling better on the first couple of days of that week. And then it was like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I think. It just got so bad. Like I couldn't go mm. five minutes without coughing up like all kinds of styles coughing up blood like it was it was hot like I I there's not not a chance I could have got through an hour of a of a podcast
0: Mm. (laughs) Um, so yeah yeah, I do apologize for that guys but you sound a lot better now than what you were sounding so yes hopefully that's good but anyway Illness aside, how was New Zealand? Did you oh, have a good it time? Was, yeah, it was great. So we went skiing for, yeah, for a, for a few
1: days. And yeah, I mean, as I said, I got sick kind of halfway through. So um, the back right. half of it was uh, a little bit quieter. But um, yeah, I'd never been to New Zealand and I, and I had never um, skied in New Zealand before. And the, the snow there is, um, yeah, it's fantastic. It was great.
0: Yeah. How good's Queenstown? I love Queenstown. Yes,
1: yeah, the the it's the vibe so good, there, man. the culture there is so
0: it's great. It, it's everyone said have a good time. Yeah. It's party. Yeah. It's adventure. Snow sports. Everything. Yeah, there's so many Java, people. Yeah, oh, I the, was going to say Java Ferg Burger.
1: Yes, how good? Yeah. <laughs> everyone how is good. obsessed. It's crazy. They uh, are. It's who, who who is this Ferg guy with his bakery? Is uh is what is a gelato as well, and then uh, the burger place as well. Um, yeah, what a little little uh. Little conglomerate. He's gonna flip he's a, a monopoly. monopoly. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: it is actually insane because everybody. I was. I was saying this. A couple of my friends had been there before, and they were hyping it up so much. And despite hyping it up so much, it still exceeded expectations. And that is so rare. Like it's mm. so rare that uh, a, a business can be hyped so much and then still it exceed your expectations. Which is. Um, he's got how much the
0: burger cost there? Are they still really well priced?
1: They were like fifty Thirteen to maybe seventeen dollars, I I guess, depending on what you got. Maybe fifteen to seventeen, something like that. So good burgers, yeah. Good prices, pretty pretty reasonable.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad you had a good time, mate. Although I am, I'm sorry you got so sick. Yeah, yeah. i uh, got, got the ups and the downs of uh, the past couple of weeks. But um, Hamish, hey this is what happens when you leave your house. Exactly. This
1: is why. <laughs> this is exactly why. No, i <laughs> This is exactly <laughs> why I don't leave my house. Uh, <laughs> Fifty one weeks of the year. No. Yeah. Oh um, but um, no, I'm excited to get back into it because it is like it was a it was a long week, and I, I did make a video in the end. I kind of struggled my way through a video, but uh, I'm excited to to get back into stuff. It's It's funny because I obviously had the holiday week off and then the sick week off. So it's like two weeks and that's like a long time to not Mm. really be doing all that much. So I'm, I'm
0: energized. I'm, um, I'm, I'm I'm good. Uh, I'm glad. All right. Well, let's get into it. I, I don't even know. Was the last time that we spoke, do we literally have like a, still have the queen? Yes, we we, we didn't speak about that. That happened while I was in New
1: Zealand, yeah.
0: Oh, okay, yeah, okay. So that's a a pretty big change that's happened since I last spoke to you. And it's actually prompted an interest... uh, 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 I've, I've had, which is like, how does the, the British royal family make money? So I thought that maybe I'll go through that in, in today's episode, but we've also got a lot to talk about in terms of inflation. US, US and UK inflation data has come out since the last time we spoke. Um, Twitter shareholders and the Elon Musk situation that there's an update there. We're also going to talk about, um, uh, Paramount Plus and their mm. streaming service and also a little bit of news on YouTube as well. So we do yeah. have we'll, yeah, there we'll, you go, we'll, when you we'll, skip a couple weeks <laughs> then all of a sudden the news uh, backs up on you, doesn't it? So. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll
1: see what we get through today. We'll, um, we, we will. we'll, uh, yeah. There is, a, there is a lot to break down but um, yep. with that said today's episode is sponsored by ShareSite which is an application you can use to track the performance of your stock portfolio. So you can bring in all, all of your trades either automatically by connecting your broker using Excel or you can also do the manually one by one if that's what you want. When you do that, uh, it will help you track all of the gains and losses in your portfolio. So capital gains, dividends. If you have dividend reinvestment plans, it will do all of those calculations for you. Currency gains, if you're buying shares internationally or you hold foreign currencies, uh, and then you can also use it for when it comes to tax time. So ShareSite generates up to 12 different reports that can be used at tax time to work out things such as capital gains, dividend income, and more. And at the moment, you can try ShareSite for free by heading over to sharesite.com forward slash young investors. That's sites S-I-G-H-T, sharesite.com forward slash young investors. So use that link sign up to a free plan track up to 10 holdings for as long as you want or you can also use that link to sign up to a premium plan and you'll get four months off a yearly subscription if you use that link so go check it out if you haven't already and uh thanks to everyone who is uh, used that link and is supporting our podcast
0: Mm, indeed um where do you want to start today hamish
1: um Where should we begin? I think maybe we should cover some of this inflation stuff quickly. Uh, And just one thing before we get to the inflation stuff, I guess it's kind of on the back of the inflation stuff. But uh, at the time of recording this, we won't know what the Fed decision is, but it will Mm. have been out now. Um, It's expected to be 75 basis points. So um, we'll kind of see if that uh, kind of uh, rings true. Um, And uh, I guess maybe we'll be able to talk about that a little bit next week. But that's kind of on the back of the inflation data that... uh, That was released um,
0: last week. Yes, so let me talk to you about that. Um, We'll start in the US. Obviously, when we're talking about the Fed, we're in the US. Um, So inflation—the inflation figure was for um, August—was worse than expected. In uh, as rising shelter and food costs offset a drop in gas prices, the Bureau of Labor Statistics reported last Tuesday. So, they said the consumer price index for all urban consumers rose 0.1% in August on a seasonally adjusted basis after being unchanged in July, uh, the US Bureau of Labor Statistics reported. However, uh, when looking over the past 12 months, um, all the all the the all, oh my gosh, I'm so out of form, Hamish. What's going on? <laughs> um, looking over the last 12 months, the all items index increased 8.3% before seasonal adjustments. So, June, July, August, we've gone 9.1, 8.5, and now 8.3. So, declining, uh, definitely not and not enough to obviously feel comfortable so the fed still has to do what they have to do. Yeah. Um but interestingly on a uh, seasonally adjusted basis it was actually up by 0.1% in August. <clears throat> yeah. Uh course C- sorry yeah You had no, something no, no. to say.
1: Oh all, all I was going to say it is it is interesting because the the kind of the headline numbers are not yes they were worse than expected but they're not terrible. I mean a 0.1% increase is a very very small increase but uh What is kind of, I think the the real negative story around it is the fact that the energy and I think energy was down massively. So the fact that it was still up 0.1 leads you to think, okay, what was in the, was there something in the core that went up Mm. massively? And I think that's what
0: what you've got. Exactly right. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yep. So core CPI, think about this core CPI, which strips out um, food and energy components, advanced 0.6% 0.6% yeah. from July and 6.3% over the past 12 months. So think about that. That's taking out yeah. food and taking out energy and all of a sudden it's gone up a lot. So it yeah. shows you that for overall that means that, well, energy would have gone down a lot, which it did. Um, this is from the release. Quote, uh, increases in the shelter, food and medical care indexes were the largest of many contributors to the broad-based monthly all-items increase. Um, these increases were mostly offset by a 10.6% decline in the gasoline index. The food index continued to rise, increasing 0.8% over the month as the food at home index rose 0.7%. The energy index fell 5% over the month as the gasoline index declined, but the electricity and natural gas indexes increased. Mm. So housing, food, medical costs rose, but oil prices fell a lot to um, to kind of counteract that. Um, so, yeah, ex- exactly you what go. you're just talking about. Um, I want to chuck in a little follow-up as well because you mentioned this, I think, uh, last time around. Eggs, <laughs> Hamish. Oh, yes, importantly, eggs, break the breakfast menu. <laughs> s- yes, the breakfast surged uh, another 2.9% and are now up 39.8% those for the 12 pe- months period. chickens,
1: they, they're not working hard enough.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, they, need, they need to increase their output. Come on. Uh, dear, oh, dear. They so, need to anyway. increase their output.
1: <laughs> it one uh, a day is
0: not enough <laughs> <laughs> <Maybe> <laughs> twice a day <laughs> oh we need you to work the night shift as well sorry Oh, uh, golly gee um yeah, so overall, uh, this wasn't exactly what the market was expecting. They were hoping for inflation to uh, to settle after being seasonally adjusted. However, it did not, and because of that, the S and P uh, fell 4.3 percent on the Tuesday that this was released. The Dow fell 1,300 points, that uh, that was equivalent to 3.94 percent. Mm. Treasury yields leaped higher as uh, the two-year note, which is most closely tied to the Federal Reserve interest rate moves, surged 0.13 percent. I don't know if you call that a Surge, <laughs> surged 0.13 percentage points uh, to 3.7%. So, there you go. That was US inflation for the month of August. Do you want to talk about what the Fed's now going to expect it to come in and, and do about it? Yeah. So, the Fed's expecting a 75% seventy uh, five seventy five percent,
1: basis Whoa. point. <laughs> They're coming in. Does someone actually- I swear it was like Turkey or something was like had like uh, a, a, some kind of massive interest rate increase. I'm not even joking. I think it was something like that. Okay, maybe really? I'm, maybe I'm making that up, but um, maybe someone I'll can back check me on that. Uh, I swear there was like a there was like a fifty fifty percent increase in interest rates or something somewhere. But uh, the Federal Reserve is not doing that. Uh, they're looking to do uh, seventy five basis points, so 075 uh, percent. As we said, it's going to be released by the time you're seeing this podcast, so you guys will already know. Uh, some people think it will be 1%, um, but uh, the consensus at the moment is, is kind of um, 0.75. Uh, that would, of course, raise the federal funds rate to a range of 3 to 3.25. Um, so it's continuing to go up quite dramatically from uh, basically zero that it was not too long ago. Uh, Interestingly, the one-year treasury bond rate uh, rose to 4.1%, which essentially tells us that the market is expecting... the federal funds rate to approach 4.1% over the next year. So that's like one to two, maybe 50 basis point rate hikes. Um, so that's kind right. of what the market is is pricing in um, at this point, which is interesting because, of course, inflation is still very, very high. And I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility, even though we don't know. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that there could be you know, four, or five more rate hikes um, to come, depending on how long inflation takes to ease. Uh, energy is—it's a good sign that energy is easing, and hopefully that flows into other things such as uh, food, for example, which is heavily impacted by energy uh, and other parts of the market, transportation. But um, we will just have to—we'll just have to see.
0: The thing that worries me—it doesn't it concerns me. The headline rate, we've gone from nine point one percent to eight point five to eight point three. That's good because it's going down now. Yeah. But the thing that gets me is it's still at 8.3%. Yes. Yeah. Like it, just think about what that means. Versus twelve months ago, we're still prices are still going up by eight point three percent. Even if they're going up by less and less over time, they're still going up by a massive chunk. And that's obviously too high so yeah well like a lot of a lot of people like oh you know if inflation comes down a fair chunk then you know maybe the federal reserve won't even have to raise interest rates and i'm like man yeah well i don't know because say imagine if it was just like instead of going up to 9.1% and then mm-hmm. coming down to 8.3 imagine if it's instead like back when it was 7% it just slowly increased up to 8.3 then the story would be totally different. Yeah. It'd be like, oh, it's, ke- it's keeping, it, ke- it keeps increasing. Oh my God. So it's like, man, the 8.3 number would still be the same, but the narrative would be totally different. But it's still 8.3% inflation at the end of the day. It's kind of scary.
1: Yeah. I mean, think of it this way if you have 8% inflation per year for three years straight, just three years, that's a 20 it's 26% inflation over that three year period, which is like a quarter of your expenses, let's say on average, increasing, which is massive. That could be, tens of thousands of dollars right so uh, any kind this level of inflation yeah you're right it, it's 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 too high and we've, we've already been in this period for a very long time it won't be long uh, I, I don't think before you know three years will have passed and we can look back and see what the damage of this short period of time really was uh, especially in mm-hmm. other regions where you know inflation is already double digits uh, you know 10 percent inflation per year that's a math your expenses are compounding at a massive rate at that point so And that's just yeah. the kind of the average. I mean, if you look at your real expenses, depending on, on what where you live and that sort of thing, your expenses could already be up 25%, 30%. so yeah. Um, yeah, hopefully they get on top of it soon and I'm not quite sure about the market expecting just one or two more rate hikes. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see the federal funds rate approach the long run average, which which has been about 5.4% since 1970, Uh, currently at 3%. I I wouldn't be surprised to see three more 75 basis point rate hikes at this point. Um, that, That would not surprise me.
0: Yeah. I looked up, um, I just quickly opened Excel to just do a quick example. $10,000, something that costs $10,000, inflating at 8% per year, mm-hmm. um, will obviously cost $10,800 one year later, then uh, $11,664 the year after that, and then $12,597 the year after that. Yeah. So that's that's the compounding effect because, of course, it's 8%. These period, like it's 8%. Well, hang on. Last year we also had 8%, so it yeah. takes us to a larger number, which takes us to a larger number again, larger number again. So there you go. <clears throat> Mm. Yes. Anything more to say on US inflation? Um, no. I th- we'll I talk think... about it next week anyway, because we'll actually know what the exact number was. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I think that's it for now. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll just quickly squeeze through... Uh, sorry, I'll go back to the podcast document. Uh, UK inflation, mm. uh, a similar story. I mean, it's a global economy at this point. Everything kind of you know, um, all kind of everybody gets affected in the same way when these big global events happen. So UK inflation slowed in August on the back of a fall in fuel prices, though food prices continue to rise as the country's cost of living crisis persists. So same basic headline as the US, the consumer price index rose at 9.9% over the past 12 months, according to estimates published Wednesday, uh, last Wednesday uh, by the Office for National Statistics. Uh, fractionally below a consensus forecast of 10.2% among economists, it was also down from July's figure of 10.1%. So they've gone from 10.1 to 9.9. Hmm. Uh, month-on-month, consumer prices rose 0.5%, fractionally below forecast. Core inflation, which excludes volatile energy, food, alcohol and tobacco, was 0.8%. Up was up 0.8% month-on-month. Wow. and uh 6.3% year on year. <clears throat>
1: yeah, that's a So m- yeah, that's a massive
0: core increase, 0.8%. Yep. So um when you take away energy, it show's yeah. you how much the energy has 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 actually calmed yeah. s- these inflation figures for this for this month anyway. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see
1: how other numbers change going forward will yeah. because if food is reactive re- fairly reactive to energy but Will food costs come back down, or will they just remain high? I mean, in a lot of categories, you'll see inflation surge, but when inflation eases in energy, for example, they it won't you won't see declines in other areas. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with food, especially with a large part of that being kind of at home food delivery. Um, it will be interesting to see kind of if 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 food prices do actually mm-hmm. end up coming down, actually seeing deflation, or whether they just have a slowdown and prices kind of remain at this elevated level um, far, far above where they were
0: just a couple of years ago, for example. Yeah. Um, quote, a fall in the price of motor fuels made the largest downward contribution to the change in both CPIH and CPI annual inflation rates between July and August 2022, the ONS said in its report. Um and yeah, I just added a note. This is something already last week. While it's not necessarily something to get super excited about, it's certainly better than uh, inflation accelerating. Yes, it <laughs> considering that <is. laughs> the the U- UK's particular circumstances with their with the kind of Europe energy crisis as well. Yeah. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, new Prime Minister, new British Prime Minister Liz Truss announced an emergency fiscal package capping annual household energy bills at two thousand five hundred pounds for the next two years. Yeah, we spoke about that, didn't we? With an equivalent guarantee for businesses over the next six months and further support in the pipeline for vulnerable sectors. Uh, the Bank of England is set to raise rates by either 50 basis points or 75 basis points and I believe that happens tomorrow as well. So we'll probably right. have a fair bit to talk about uh, next, next week. week. All right. But uh, is we leave? should we leave... Uh, should we leave- yeah. Inflation. We'll leave it there. I've got a little bit of kind of entertainment.
1: Well, it's not entertainment news, it's business entertainment news. We're not gonna we're not right. gonna have a Kardashian segment on uh, on the Young Investors <laughs> podcast. And in <laughs> and in entertainment, Leonardo DiCaprio no. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: Maybe we should chuck that in. Maybe yeah, maybe we should.
1: He's dating a 27-year-old. He's broken the mold. A couple what? people will get that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, no, I want to talk oh about Paramount um, streaming service, uh, and they're looking to make some make some more moves in the space. As we've seen, kind of recently, Warner Brothers made some changes, some announcements, cutting back spending. We've seen other streaming services launch. So there's a lot of chop and change going on at the moment in this space. So uh, Paramount is kind of one of the latest to make a move. So they're looking to consolidate uh, some of their streaming services. So currently they have five different streaming services, which I've never understood why some of these companies have like, yeah. they've just segmented everything out into little bits. Um, so mm-hmm. they have, they have Paramount Plus, they have Showtime, they have Bet Plus. I don't know what that is. Uh, I don't know what most of these are actually, but Pluto TV and they have Noggin. Uh, I think Noggin is like a kid's, it's like Nickelodeon, I think. I think that's what that is. (laughs) I love that name.
0: How good is that name?
1: (laughs) Noggin. Yeah. I I guess having like a kid's one kind of makes sense, although you could probably package it together in some way. But uh, yeah, so they currently have five different streaming services and that of course doesn't include all of the other ways they distribute content through cable channels and and licensing and that sort of thing. Um, Yeah. But uh, currently, most of their original television series that they m- historically have produced and then put on Showtime, the, the cable channel, uh, things like Billions and Dexter, currently they're all available on a Showtime streaming service, which we haven't heard all that much about. Um, mm. It's kind of been this quiet service that uh, you would get if you had the Showtime if you had access to Showtime on, on cable, it would kind of make sense that you would uh, get the, maybe get the streaming service so you can watch it f- more flexibly, but it's not mm. been one of the, it's not up there with like HBO Max and all of these big streaming services that people are kind of talking about. Uh, now Paramount is looking to merge Showtime with their flagship service, which is, which is Paramount Plus. And I, I personally think this makes so much sense. Um mm. And there's kind of a couple of reasons behind it, behind it. The first is Paramount doesn't actually produce that much movie content. Um, so if you have Paramount+, Plus, there's not all that much new content kind of coming out. They have a huge library. They've been around for many years, Paramount. Um, so they have this huge old content library of, of a lot of classic films, but they don't actually produce that many films yearly relative to like uh, Warner Brothers, for example, and, and Disney, certainly. Um so, I think it makes sense for them to kind of combine the two together. Uh, I think
0: yeah. – um, I was just going to say, I think if you're – you ha- to be able to do multiple streaming services, you have to be clearly the top dog. Yeah. So, if you're like Netflix, maybe Netflix times two. You're just like this behemoth streaming service. Maybe you could get away with segment – oh, you want Stranger Things. Oh, you have to sign up <laughs> to this one. Oh, you want Bridgerton. Sorry, that's on Netflix too. You have to Netflix, <laughs> but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you get what you get. What I mean, like, it's kind of like a competitive yeah. advantage there. But I think if you're something like Paramount, where you know you're way in the back, rear view mirror, you're a long way behind in streaming. Yeah, surely your strategy, which I'm sure they're now coming to, is you have to throw all of your eggs into the same basket and yeah. say, look at how full and amazing this basket is. You yeah. know, you want this basket. Yes. I think that's that's what you have to do. That's got to be the, the, pl- the play.
1: Yeah. It, well, it's been really interesting because you have all of these media companies that have kind of pulled back their own original content and started to launch their own streaming service. But as a result, it's kind of spread all of the good content – fairly thin across a number of platforms because you know who makes good movies is not just a couple of film studios there's a lot of small film studios and media companies that produce great films so it's kind of all been split out so it kind of makes sense that at, at the very least just to begin with within these media companies they would consolidate what they have rather than splitting it even further within the company there's probably going to be even more consolidation between companies um because even with paramount putting everything together and disney let's say putting everything together and warner brothers putting everything together even still that's one two three plus netflix four streaming services uh that you would have to imagine and then all of the many other ones that people may want to get peacock or whatever there has to be more consolidation because people are not going to Even in the US, for example, people are not going to have, I would imagine at least, more than three, four at the most.
0: um, I don't think people, I reckon most people probably don't have more than one or two. No.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Most people will be one. Maybe you switch in and out of other ones. Uh, Yeah. But, yeah, there's certainly you're not getting all 10. You're not, no, <laughs> you're not, you're not going down the list and getting all 10. So that's kind of one thing. And then the other thing is um, TV series, of course, represent the majority of content that's consumed on streaming services. So I think it makes sense that they would put their TV assets into their flagship product. I think that just makes perfect sense. Mm. Um, uh, and uh, – Yeah, essentially, they're not the first kind of company to make this move. Warner Brothers, just Mm -hmm. a few months ago, they announced they're going to be combining HBO Max and Discovery Plus into some new service that they're going to announce next year. Um, That We don't know what it's called yet, but they're going to be combining um, those two together. And then you have Disney. Even Disney offers a bundle between Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus. So um, I I think this move makes sense.
0: Yeah, and beyond that, Disney... Disney I I could kind of understand their reasoning they kind of kept Disney plus for all of their marvel star wars nat geo everything that's kind of you know pg or whatever and then they'd have hulu for the more uh, mature adult content yeah, drama, and ESPN yeah. Plus for all the sports. But I think even Disney now are, are realizing that. Hang on, we got to put all our eggs in the same basket as well because now obviously you can get all of the more mature adult kind of um not adult content but <laughs> for, for more mature audiences um on Disney Plus as well. So yeah. even they've made that strategic change to be like, no, 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 just put it all on Disney Plus. Yeah, you know, it's what we're it's what we're advertising like crazy. Yeah. Um. so I, w- I honestly wouldn't be surprised if like eventually Hulu just fades out of existence it's, it's just all Disney Plus but yeah. we'll see
1: yeah it, it, it'll, it'll certainly be interesting to see how, how these platforms continue to move over time because some have been very very strict on what content so some have cut back a lot of licensing and they're really saying hey if you want Paramount content come to get come to Paramount Plus whereas others have said hey you know get Paramount Plus and you'll have you'll get some of our original content but some of it or a lot of it we're just still licensing out to to other services or to cable channels and that sort of thing. So it will be interesting to see kind of what decisions these businesses make and whether they commit to keeping all of their content and being like, look at our awesome, amazing library, or whether it's uh, partly that, partly licensing, or whether they lean licensing in the streaming services and afterthought. Um, Yeah, we'll we'll definitely continue to see some big moves, especially because a lot of these media companies are losing a lot of money on these streaming services. So they're going to be making changes over the next couple of years to make this business work for them and figure out what it's going to look like. Um, So yeah, definitely some more changes to come, I think
0: from this space. Mm. All right, cool. Uh, Anything else on that? Nope. That's it. That's all. All right, cool. I'll, uh, I'll fly through this uh, Elon Musk business. Um, There's not too much to talk about. Um, So our next bit of news is that Twitter shareholders have approved – Elon Musk's acquisition that he now doesn't doesn't want want to do. do. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So, Twitter shareholders voted last Tuesday to approve Elon Musk's $44 billion bid to buy the company and take a private. Uh, Twitter shareholders approved the takeover offer with uh, 98.6% of votes cast at a special meeting in favor of the deal based on a preliminary tally of the votes, uh, the company said after the polling closed on Tuesday. Uh, Twitter shares, interestingly, barely moved on the news. (laughs) And even since then, they still have not moved. It's now since at $41.68. So a fair way away from Musk's offer, like a considerable way away. His offer was $54.20 per share. Right. So that shows you that, that's even like with all this approval, yeah. like investors are still very, very doubtful that this deal will actually be forced through. Yeah. Um. I just did the quick maths and Elon Musk's offer represents a 30% premium yeah, right. to the current stock price. Wow. 30%. That's unusual. Yeah. I don't even know. Like one well, that we'll probably to, go through is Activision Blizzard, but I, that's, yeah. that's, I think that was running at like a 10%. It was like spread. 10 or 15 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. this is much bigger, so obviously. So 30% is... Whew,
1: yeah, it would be interesting to ask like some legal experts to look at this and what their kind of view on it is. Um, yeah. And yeah, maybe it's just, I guess it's one of those situations where the outcome is relatively uncertain, uh, mm. or maybe the outcome is that it's unlikely that um, this will go through as a result. The, the stock price is, you know,
0: reflecting that. Um, but yeah, very interesting kind of situation. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah, the vote comes... i am just reading the article here. The vote comes as Musk seeks to scrap the deal, casting doubt on Twitter's self-reported percentage of fake accounts and alleging the company was not forthcoming as it should have been uh, with its explanation of the calculation. Twitter stood by its figure of less than 5% of monetizable daily active users being spam or fake. And it said it provided Musk plenty of information meeting the requirements of the deal. Twitter sued Musk for allegedly breaching the agreement and the case is currently making its way through the Delaware Court of Chancery with a trial expected to begin in mid-October. The judge in this, this is where things get interesting, right? So the judge in this case recently allowed Musk's camp to revise his counterclaim against Twitter to include allegations made by a former Twitter security chief who recently filed a whistleblower complaint claiming egregious securities failings by the company. Mm. The whistleblower, um, Peter Mudge Zatko, Mudge seems like is a... Is a what do you like a nickname? Mm. So when, when they do it in inverted commas, uh, testified before a Senate panel earlier on Tuesday. So the Wall Street Journal notes former Twitter security executive Peter Zatko, who was fired by the company in January, told the Senate Judiciary Committee on Tuesday. This is last Tuesday uh, that Twitter executives quote, uh, sorry, Twitter executives incentives led them to prioritize profits over security, echoing mm. his whistleblower complaint. Twitter has pushed back against the charges and said he was making misleading statements. He was called before the committee to provide more information on his assertions. Democrats and Republicans raised concerns about the user data potentially being exposed to foreign intelligence agencies. Mr. Zatko at the hearing reiterated his claims that foreign agents... This is where I'm starting to get a little bit confused because I'm like, how is this related to the Elon Musk thing? Mr. Zako at the hearing reiterated his claims that foreign agents working for Chinese and other governments may be employed at the company. Last month, a former Twitter employee was found guilty of spying for Saudi Arabia by accessing private user information in exchange for money. Twitter security team, quote, had been contacted and told that there was at least one agent of the MSS which. Uh, which is one of China's intelligence services, on the payroll inside Twitter. The Chinese embassy in Washington didn't respond for a request comment. This, this is like this is where I'm just like, what, what? how is this related to your spam and fake accounts and the Elon Musk thing? It says, Twitter has argued Mr. Musk got cold feet after market conditions deteriorated. Last week, Mr. Musk got court approval to amend his suit to include aspects of Mr. Zatko's assertions. So how is th- how is this related? I don't know I how don't, that's
1: related. It, it,
0: I don't know either. How does this like bolster up Elon Musk's argument? Yeah, I don't understand. look
1: I don't know. I don't understand how that's you know related at all. Um
0: Maybe just factors in that it's like the management team are not doing their due diligence. They yeah, not being as they're not reporting or not exploring things as thoroughly as they should be. Whether it be spies mm. on the payroll or <laughs> the number <laughs> of fake accounts they report in their financial documents.
1: Yeah, it's regulatory uh, filings. That's crazy. Yeah, the the bots thing is like I I I've recently I, I feel like it's gotten a lot worse recently. I don't know. I I I, I admit I have only been using Twitter this year, but uh, I feel like in
0: the I past one one last hurrah before they all lose their jobs. <laughs> yeah. Try and bring in as much advertising revenue as possible. Yeah, I don't no, know. I want you to double the bots, <laughs> double them. We're going to hell anyway, guys. <laughs> <been> two x. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, that's um. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What to I don't say. know. If anyone is like a legal expert or can understand why on earth that factors into the Elon Musk situation, please let us know. <laughs> yeah,
1: I just think it's crazy they can force the deal through That seems so weird that there's not just a like a – like I presume there's a clause that says if they breach – if he breaches the contract, he pays this amount – um, mm. and he's avoid- trying to avoid that but I didn't know
0: that they could um yeah
1: it's just wild that they can um, they can force the deal through. it seems so weird like you must pay yeah, I, don't know. <laughs> I
0: don't know well I mean by the sounds of things they did enter into a, a binding agreement yeah yeah so so I mean it's a binding agreement I mean <clears throat> don't sign it if you don't plan to go through with it kind of thing yeah at I guess the same that makes time sense. yeah, I don't know. I don't know I have to I have to watch this one. Any mm. thoughts on that or? I don't know, honestly. That's <laughs> nothing to add. Thanks, we'll,
1: Charlie. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> well, yeah. I guess we'll just gotta. We'll have to wait and see what happens. Was it mid October? Was the uh, yeah? Was it was the trial? Yeah. I don't, don't know.
0: have too long to wait. A month or so less than a month. Yeah, I don't. I don't think
1: <laughs> I have any particular insights on that. Um, to be honest.
0: Yeah. Fair. Um. Okay. Put, uh,
1: you want to talk about YouTube a little bit? Because uh, yeah, talk about YouTube. It's, it's Go a, on. Has a Go special on, then. place in our. Uh, in our uh, YouTube is going to start paying for. Uh, for shorts content, which we obviously make... Uh, which, wait, you, you make some shorts content, actually. Do oh, nah, or, nah, no, no, nah, no, really. Oh, okay. Nah. Well, yeah, I, I definitely... I've, I don't think I've ever made a short, so um, this doesn't, doesn't really affect us, but uh, they're going to start uh, revenue sharing for, for shorts content. Um, so kind of like what TikTok does.
0: No, so it's a little bit different. So no. uh, okay. uh, wait, yep. what does TikTok? Do? Yeah, you, you. Sorry, you take yeah, us through. Yeah, so uh, I won't derail you like I yeah. usually do. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, um, yeah. So, so TikTok. W- we can start with TikTok. <clears throat> so, the the difficult thing with with this kind of content is that the ads are not attributable directly to the content, right? So when we post a video, the ad is on our video; it's in the video. Whereas mm. TikTok, for example, the ads are between. Maybe two different creators' content,
0: right? Uh, so
1: you, they have to be a little bit more tricky about, like you're not watching a TikTok and then halfway through the TikTok there's a 15 sec- second skippable, like that would be <laughs> like that would be kind of crazy. So it's it's how do you attribute the ads uh, to the creators? What TikTok has done so far, which has been kind of laughable, is they've just had a uh a creator fund where so the recently they upped it to a billion dollars and it's a billion dollars over 3 years and essentially they just pay out from that fund uh spread equally across i think they must have some kind of partner program as well um, based on views i'm guessing based on views right so they're doing it right. yeah so that they're they're essentially uh attributing each view across each tiktok equally um there's no kind of Distinction there or anything like that, but it, it is kind of laughable. I saw a couple people were posting screenshots um, of like their earnings. One person had uh, 25 million views and they earned a hundred dollars,
0: oh, <laughs> which is oof, which is absolutely that's horrendous. Rubbish. And then I think
1: Mr. Beast posted his and he said he had over a billion views and he had it was like $15,000 or something like that for over a billion views. So it's wow it's, that's really garbage. bad and it's laughable it's not structured in a way where um, they're actually getting paid uh, a, a revenue share It's just been out of this fund like they've said so TikTok obviously makes a bunch of revenue and then they're like here have have a little bit of here have some crumbs um, so yeah. that's kind of been the way that, that TikTok has done it and to be fair that's the way that YouTube did it up until. This week, uh, well, up until this announcement, um, they launched a creator fund or they called it the Shorts Fund in 2021. And uh, it was hundred million dollars, so it was even less. <laughs> it was even less than uh, than uh, TikTok's, and they didn't give it out to most creators. It was they would specifically pick certain creators who got certain engagement and views, and then they would um there were it was basically a program where they got feedback and then paid them a little bit of money, but now uh, they're actually looking to move into a revenue share model. So um, Neil Mohan, the chief product officer for YouTube. Said on Tuesday uh, at the annual creator event uh, made on YouTube that starting next year the company will pay a portion of revenue for shorts distributed based on the video that gets the most based on the videos that get the most views. So um, <clears throat> instead of kind of when we run ads uh, an advertiser pays a particular amount for those ads and then we get. a a split of the ads that are on our channel. Instead of that, they will tally up all of the revenue uh, collected from Shorts and then you will be a part of that pie. You'll have a little slice, 10 million views, 50 million views. And based on the proportion of your views to the overall views, you'll be be able to get kind of a pro rata um, amount of of that revenue. Um, Interesting. So yeah, uh, they said uh, YouTube says... Uh, that every month, as I just said, it will pull together ad revenue. uh, And then of that sum, an undisclosed percentage is allocated to creators. And then YouTube will pay 45% of that amount. So it's not clear at all. They haven't been clear at all about what the percent is. With us, for example, it's always been 55%. We get 55, YouTube gets 45. Mm. It's been like that since the beginning of the partner program in 2007, I think, or something like that. Or whenever they started the partner program. I'm not sure when it was. Uh but uh yeah it'll be interesting to see how They play it with shorts because one thing that YouTube... And I'm sure YouTube can change our percentage. I'm sure they can just do it whenever they want to. But they will get a lot of backlash if they do that. So they're kind of stuck, I think, paying out 55%. And it's a pretty generous revenue split, I personally think, Mm. uh, given that YouTube manages the infrastructure and everything that's... you know All of the advertising and everything. They manage everything. We just have to create the content. Uh, yep. so, but it will be interesting to see how they structure the deal with shorts, knowing where they might be kind of locking themselves into uh, a, a certain rate. I would imagine it's not going to be as generous as th- what they've got for the main YouTube content. Mm. I don't know. Do you have any
0: thoughts on that? <clears throat> uh, I think that they're just going to because we're so early. It's like it wasn't that long ago that Shorts had a beta. Yeah. In its logo. Yeah. You know, it was shorts beta. <laughs> so I think we're so early and it's still so hard to monetize or the, yeah, really, you know, short form, like ultra short form video content is still very difficult to monetize, whether it be Facebook and their reels, TikTok um, with their platform or shorts, that I think they just want to, they, they don't want to commit themselves to anything because you're right, if they then change their commitment, which they may have to do because of some business factor, revenues change or whatever, because we're still very early, so things will chop and change. But yeah. if they said that they were going to do one thing and then they had to change it, then they would just get crucified. Yeah, you know, the, everyone, because all, all the creators who have all the followers, it directly impacts them. So all of a sudden, all they're going to be like, oh my God, I can't believe YouTube's changing this thing and now I'm going to lose out. And of course, yeah. the audiences will then be like, oh, let's boycott, let's go back to T. So I think it's just like at this early stage, we just, we'll just keep the details to ourselves until yeah. we can figure out a business model that works for us, but also works for the creators. Yeah. Um. I feel like they just... Yeah, you're right. Imagine if YouTube changed the percentage payout to creators and And made it less. here's
1: the thing. They are going to do it
0: one day. Like, there is not a chance... If you're
1: asking me, okay, over the next decade, do you think that there will never be a time where investors are basically pressuring YouTube or where YouTube is struggling to grow and they're looking at ways they can grow easily, the levers available to to them? Do I think that they will change that percentage over time? Yes. I... I personally at think, some point. I think they will. They'll probably try and do it slowly over time. Um, Very slowly. Yeah. But they will. There will be a big fast that will be kicked up. But the other thing is, yeah, uh, with their competitive position, there's not all that much that I think people could do, unless there's a rival platform that's competing, because there's currently nowhere else you could post video content and get anywhere near. The, the same kind of revenue or, or at least yeah. not even just direct revenue but the uh uh just access to an audience so you can promote other things um but yeah it is uh it, it would be it would be crazy to see if they just came out one day yeah we're changing it to 30 <laughs> percent <laughs> 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 yeah everyone would just um they get crucified yeah um, look I mean if if they lowered I mean, ad revenue is already not that big of a part of of what YouTubers generally make on the platform because you can take other sponsorships where you get more of a share of the the revenue. So if they lowered Mm. it significantly, um, it would just incentivize you to just- be more inclined to turn off ads and just run your own sponsored segments more sponsored yeah. segments like right at the start you just turn off AdSense. youtube gets nothing and then right at the beginning you do a 30 second 15 second ad read. you do one in the middle yeah. you do one at the end instead of running and there's three ads you probably make three times the money that you make from yeah. youtube ad
0: <laughs> you can have all that revenue and youtube can have none of it because yeah. you've turned monetization off but yeah. then would you would you have you need to be established already because if you turn monetization off, your, your videos wouldn't get pushed to anybody because YouTube the, just wouldn't make money. That's off
1: that's it. the big question, right?
0: Would YouTube? Yeah. I guess, yeah. Uh, is oh, that of a, course they'd be like, "No, we're not making money off this video. Show them that Mr. Beast video with monetization turned on." Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> it's yeah. interesting. We'll see what happens. It's, yeah, it's early, but yeah, this this and whole space is early. Yeah, despite its popularity, well, I think that's the crazy thing: is it's so popular, so now yeah. these companies are like how do we how do we monetize the, you know how do we get our advertising in there how what's an effective monetization strategy for yeah. the insane popularity of these kind of ultra short form bits of content Who yeah
1: knows? i mean the, the problem with online advertising and this is something i think I'll, i'm learning more about over the past couple of years and certainly a lot of people didn't see coming is that well everything is about engagement and uh the advertising just has to follow what people are engaging with. And at the moment, people are engaging a lot with, with this kind of short form video. And it just so happens that it's that form that doesn't really cater to advertising. Um, the ads are smaller, like physically smaller. They're viewed for a shorter period of time. They're clicked far less. All of these things mean advertisers pay far less for these ads. Um, so that's kind of something that Facebook is facing a, a problem with, which is advertiser dollars are funneling into into reels uh, and advertisers are paying far less. YouTube uh, is probably going to experience at least somewhat of a similar effect where if people mm. are consuming more shorts, then advertisers will be spending less money on typical YouTube ads and more on on short ads. Uh, the, the money just kind of follows the 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 content being consumed, but it's not necessarily one to one how advertisers will spend money across all of these different social media platforms. Uh, so it will be will be very uh, very interesting to to see what happens here.
0: Yeah, I also think the advertisers are just so being so silly when it comes to advertising on like TikTok because they're just like I don't know if you know, but they just run like just branded ads, like what you would see on the TV. It's like if you do that in an environment where people are just looking for quick hits of entertainment, you're going to get left behind. The best advertising I've seen done on Reels, TikTok, whatever, is where you scroll into it and you don't actually realise that it's an ad because it's just one of those TikTok, entertaining TikToks. Yeah. And then there'll be something in there which gets a product across or gets a brand name across. Mm. But it's actually just – it's like – an in disguise, funny old TikTok. Yeah. That's, I think advertisers yeah. are just, they need to go with that model because I feel like, you know, you get, um, there's like a, a creator that we were talking about in the office. I can't remember her name. Um, she's been making these videos where she makes like a really short, like um, cinematic, uh, like product, for like eggs or toast or just something random yeah and she's getting wildly popular so it's like find advertisers find her and get her to do that same video but with your product
1: yeah
0: it's like do stuff like that don't just be like oh and by the way commonwealth bank now offers this type of savings account yeah (laughs) it's like yeah No. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so I think advertisers need to get a lot better.
1: Yeah, and even things
0: like targeting. I mean,
1: uh, the information that an advertiser is getting from what TikToks you enjoy is far less valuable than, like, if I go the extreme example, what advertisers get from your Google search uh, behavior, right? Your Google search behavior is going to give advertisers a much better picture of what you're willing to spend money on than... What type of TikToks you watch? That's even just another aspect of targeting that makes these kind of ads more difficult. Uh, but yeah, it is. Um, it's a fascinating. It's a fascinating space. Um, did you see uh, Netflix is going to be trying to sell their advertising space for sixty five dollars per thousand impressions. Uh, so that's their CPM. <laughs> wow. It's, it's way above. Uh, it's pretty good. It's like, I think a typical television ad is kind of t- 20 to $30. Cable, maybe a little bit more than that, like $10, right. $10 $30. Um, so yeah, it will be interesting to see how they perform, but they're, yeah, they're, they're hoping to get significantly above market. Uh, $65 per thousand views is massive.
0: <laughs> that's yeah. huge. When does that start? When does ad supported start?
1: We don't know. I think it's supposed to be early Not next year. Uh okay. in, in developed ad markets, so probably the US. I think they usually test in Australia, which is kind of fun for us, because um, mm, we're kind of a smaller. We're like yeah. a we're like a mini test market. Same with New Zealand. We're like a and New Zealand is kind of a test market for Australia, but like we're yeah. like a little test market for for Western kind of countries. Because yeah. p- p- we're kind of US. like
0: America, but on a much smaller scale. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we- <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much it. Yeah. Oh uh, dear. No, all so, right, should we leave that one there? Yeah. Yeah, what if we- I want to yeah. talk to you. I've got this quirky story. We'll leave it to the end because it's not like super stock market-y. Mm. Um i I've been really interested over the past little while. I'm actually making a full channel video on this. How the British royal family makes money. Because obviously with the passing of the queen and the new king and all that, I was like, I got really interested because I read this article and um, I, I won't spoil NFTs. it. NFTs. But I was- Right. I was, yeah. NFTs. They have a lot of NFT pressure. Actually, the um <laughs> the senior members of the royal family are not allowed to engage in commercial agreements. Right. They're not allowed. Okay. F- they are forbid. They wow. done get forbid. Okay. So um they're not allowed to go out there and actually make money. They're they're only allowed to act in their official duties. Right. Um. So with that said, I wanted to ask you. Get get your get your ideas on this. Okay. Um what do you think the net worth of the queen was before she died? The net w- of so so do they give the net worth for just the queen it's separate? The pr- th- yeah, just the private individual Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth II. Well, uh,
1: not,
0: not not the monarch. Okay. Just I mean, the individual. I have, I
1: have no idea. I didn't even know they, they I measured. Didn't either. I didn't even know they measured that. No, I am- do, it's it's kind of
0: a it's a guesstimate like Forbes' is, guessed it okay kind of. okay uh i don't know like a
1: hundred billion i don't know more than that <laughs>
0: i don't know that's that was what i thought i thought oh god this she's she's got to be like the richest person in the world yeah uh her net worth is 500 million dollars okay right all right so she's not even a billion roughly why are we even talking about her? Who is she? Yeah, again? No. What what'd you yeah, say? I don't forget. Yeah. Eliza- oh, Elizabeth Elizabeth Elizabeth. No. Poor old poor old Lizzie. <laughs> um yeah. And guess guess what? The the private um net worth of the entire British royal family is. Okay, that's gotta be that's gotta that be that is in the billions, that, I'll give you
1: that. Yeah, that's gotta be. Well, it's a whole family. It's gotta be like, I don't
0: know, like five hundred billion or something like that. Something massive. Twenty four billion.
1: Really? Twenty four so billion
0: So That's it. Yeah, that's it. So Gina Reinhart, who, who, for those that don't know, is Australia's richest person, um, the Queen of Australia by the mi- way. mining, yeah, <laughs> miner. She is wealthier than the entire British royal family. That's crazy.
1: That's insane. Insane. I,
0: I really didn't. Yeah. I really didn't know that. Wow. And the reason, because the reason, and it's so weird. And the articles are talking about it, it's like they have this perceived net worth because yeah. we think that they own everything but they actually don't because not privately at least because it's it's held like as a part of the uh, uh it's held like by the sovereign like by the mo- monarch in their official capacity but it's not actually like king charles can't buy and sell bits of real estate that are In the Crown lands. So, anyway, let me let me tell you about it because I found this really interesting going into it. Hmm. So, they have three main categories to their wealth. There's income they receive for official duties. Then they have private income for them personally, and then they have inherited wealth. So, in terms of uh, income for official duties, this is called the sovereign grant. So, this dates back to all the way back to 1760 when when King George III um, was actually just going bankrupt as king. So he actually wasn't generating enough income to fulfil his official duties as king. Mm. So, what he did is they had all of these crown lands owned by the king, um, all these bits of real estate, and what he did is he actually handed over the crown lands to the government in exchange for an annuity, so just an annual payment, so that he could continue to spend and fulfil his duties as king. And what's interesting is that was in 1760, and that arrangement has more or less stayed the same. All the way up until today. (laughs) That's crazy. So, the same thing happens is that the crown lands are now not owned by the royal family. They're also not owned by the government. They're kind of halfway in between. But the income goes to the government. And the way it exists um, at the moment is that the monarch gets 15% of the net profit from the crown lands. Right. And that income is for their official duty. So, it funds all the things that they have to do as... The monarch. Okay, um, and for those wondering, year ending March two thousand twenty two, that was worth uh, that payment was eighty six point three million pounds, which is equivalent to uh, one pound twenty nine pence for every person in the UK. Right. Okay. So that goes straight to the monarch. Well, technically, some of that is is a special for redevelopment of Buckingham Palace, but um, right. but that is that is the the first source of their income. Yeah. And then, so that's just publicing public money that goes to them just for being the monarch, but they don't use it privately. It's just for official duties, as far as I can tell, anyway. Then they also have their private income, and this is where things get really interesting. So there's a thing called the Duchy of Lancaster. You ever heard of that? That's a bit of a weird, weird name. Um, The Duchy of Lancaster is a property portfolio. That is not technically owned privately by the monarch, but is managed with the objective of providing a private income to the monarch. Right. Does that okay. make sense? Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's, it's really weird. Um, so, it includes like agricultural land, commercial, residential real estate. Um, most right. of the land is rural, although it also has some, uh, some spots in London, like the Savoy Chapel and Wellington House. It has some sites in Harrogate, such as Harrogate Ladies College and The Stray. Um, and this is like just a managed property portfolio. Again, not not technically privately owned by the monarch. They can't buy and sell bits of real estate for the Duchy of Lancaster. Yeah, it's managed as a separate entity and okay. with the sole purpose of providing private income to the monarch. As of March two thousand twenty two, the Duchy of Lancaster, the Queen's Duchy of Lancaster, had six hundred and fifty-two point eight million pounds of net assets under its control, delivering a net surplus of twenty-four million pounds to her majesty for the year. So not bad. That's pretty interesting. And yeah. interestingly, there's also a Duchy of Cornwall, which is the same thing, except that is to supply income to the Prince of Wales. So the the heir to the right, throne, okay. so that was going to Prince Charles before yeah. he was king, and okay. it's now going to to William, yeah, who okay. will be king after Charles passes away. So
1: it sounds like so far they just owned a bunch of land, and then they struck some deals with the with the, yeah. with the government and some other deals, and they're just basically generating income off the the land, the, the yeah, vast land much. that they've accrued over
0: time. It's pretty much just real estate. Yeah. <laughs> They they do note so that's all the stuff that we can privately see as individuals because we can look at the uh, the annual reports of the Duchy of Lancaster. We can look at the okay. annual report of the Sovereign Grant. Yeah. Um. Beyond this, the Queen also had a private equity portfolio of an undisclosed amount because it's obviously <laughs> she's private. she's a trader. <laughs> she yeah, she She's a, she's she's a, a Nancy Pelosi. She's <laughs> been- <laughs> Uh, She's doing insider trading
1: too. It makes sense. All these people, all all of their money is just
0: insider trading. I'm meeting with people from Commonwealth Bank tomorrow. Can can I buy some shares before I meet? <laughs> um, so there's an equity portfolio of an undisclosed amount. and She also has over a hundred Well, she had over a hundred racehorses, which uh, which won over 600,000 pounds of prize money in 2021. So, so she's, a,
1: she's a degenerate gambler as well. Wow. Okay. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> poor old <But> queen. <laughs> poor old, poor old Queen Elizabeth. Um, and then, and from there they also have – so that's the, the private fund and then they also have inherited wealth. So this is uh, – really it's two big chunks of real – two big estates, that being Balmoral, Balmoral Castle and Sandringham House. So Balmoral is where the queen uh, died and um, it's where she spends her summers and then Sandringham House is where she spends her, her Christmases um, and they are two privately owned uh, estates, castles – that actually are in owned by that family. Yep. They could sell them if they wanted to. Um, and then she also inherited seventy million pounds from her mother when she passed away in two thousand two. So there you go. They are the three categories of wow. of uh, of income for for the for the monarch for for the queen. So now the sovereign grant now goes to Charles. The Duchy of Lancaster now goes to Charles. The Duchy of Cornwall goes to William. Yeah. And Charles is also inheriting Balmoral Sandringham and the Queen's equity portfolio and whatever other cash she had.
1: Yeah, wow. I definitely didn't know I knew that uh, I, I, but just uh just um so what I'm looking for. I kind of knew that it would have all been from real estate or a large part yeah. of would have would have been, but I yeah, I didn't know um kind of how the the deals were kind of structured. Interesting that they yeah, they struck that deal with the government and then they essentially get a they get a they get an allowance they get a weekly yeah. they get a
0: <laughs> they get a weekly allowance from which is kind of weird because it's like <clears throat> it's kind of like oh this is taxpayer money but in mm. a way like it's it's 15% of the land that they once owned outright yeah so it's like you can argue that is it's that taxpayer fair money trade? you can argue that it's also not taxpayer money yeah yeah
1: go. is that a fair trade to to Give the land back to the government, and then I guess now quite a lot of it's probably been sold privately. And I, I, I wouldn't know. Guess I don't know about Who the knows? details of it, but yeah, yeah. interesting. They
0: also don't. They, yeah, the Queen doesn't own the Crown Jewels. She doesn't own the Royal Collection, which is like a art collection of over a million pieces. Wow. Um, yeah, they basically they don't own privately basically anything. There's a lot, a lot more people go. in the world that are richer than them. There yeah. you go. It's a strange concept. How interesting though. is that? Yeah, it's, it is interesting. It's kind we, of that yeah, yeah. a bit out of left field, but I thought I'd put that in c- just because I went down a rabbit hole and I was like, man, this is like, I had no idea this is how it all worked.
1: Yeah. And no. now I do. There you go. I need to, um, you I, go. I remember I watched a couple of seasons of The Crown because um, I did want to kind of learn a little bit about, um, you know, the history of all of that. But, uh, yeah, I, I got bored. <laughs> yeah, I got bored as well. Yeah, it's, um, it's all very- uh, Do you see
0: they're yeah. doing another change of cast- for the last two seasons? Uh, do no, you see is. who's playing Queen Elizabeth? No, no. Who is it? Dolores Umbridge from Harry Potter. You remember Umbridge? Uh, yeah, I think so. Wait. It's... I can't remember what a, what the actress's name is. I'll just look at it. But she's, the, she's like the <laughs> evil- Yeah, I think like, I know you talking about. <laughs> yeah, girl. yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I can
1: kind of see it, but yeah. yeah. Yeah,
0: I can see it as well. But every time I look at her, I'm just like- Umbridge. Do you just remember that scene she's just with the, so the pan. Like, yeah, I will the, not tell lies. I will lies not tell it. lies. Yeah, so like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, oh, dear. Anyway, yeah. Um, what an evil person. Yeah, there you go. No. <laughs> uh, should we move? Should we do one question before we get out of here? Yeah. Do we have? Um, we we don't. Yeah, we. We, we don't have. We're the running meeting. out of questions. You go. No. So <laughs> if if you guys if you guys I don't know why I'm looking at you. I should look over here at the camera. Yeah. If you guys have a uh, have a question. Um, that you'd like to ask for the podcast, just head over to the YouTube version of the podcast and drop it in the comments section. You can ask one on Spotify as well. Um, yeah, feel free because chances are it'll end up on the show because we don't have we don't actually don't have that many at the moment. Hmm. Uh, I answered this one last week uh, or two weeks ago. Oh, with okay. Tom. Okay. Can we have one? Um, so we do. I'll ask you this because uh, it it aligns with what you know, your circle of competence more than mine. Do you think it is fair to compare Netflix and Disney evenly considering, uh, despite their overlap in some movies, Marvel, Star Wars, uh, Netflix seems to target adults and Disney more children and families? Yeah, I
1: I think there's a couple of things. Obviously, I think there's going to be room for, as we kind of spoke about earlier, room for multiple players to succeed. And I think there's going to be a lot of consolidation between uh these media companies but yeah ultimately i think yeah i mean look they're, they're not i guess in some aspects they're direct competitors because they are competing for engagement but there's clear distinct segments of audiences not even just across age ranges but across different types of uh content as well right netflix leans very much into television drama um that sort of thing. They have a lot of crime documentaries, for example. There's certain categories they do extremely well, uh, and then yeah, Disney like Netflix. I don't, as far as I know, they haven't done any big blockbuster uh, uh, superhero movies. Maybe they've done like one or two, right? Um, but that's that's clearly a, a quite a different segmented audience. Uh, so yeah, th- there's going to be different content that that serves different um, different audiences, and there's definitely room for for multiple services to to thrive I think in this space if they can get to a profitable scale that's ultimately I think where we'll see a lot of consolidation because these businesses will uh, like like even Disney trying to consolidate Hulu and Disney plus uh, well, they're not consolidating them, but bundling them together to try and uh, get their subscriber numbers up, get their revenue up to get to a point where they can be profitable to produce content. That's really going to be the question, I think. And that's where we'll see either companies fall off and move into licensing more of their content again to generate revenue or whether they will commit uh, and, and and be producing enough revenue to 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 fund what we know now is kind of the the streaming environment because i think it's important to the same thing is true with kind of delivery companies it's important to recognize that at the moment the streaming experience you're getting with hbo max and disney plus it's a not sustainable experience because these businesses are not profitable at the moment at least in their streaming businesses specifically so we're going to see how it evolves over time but but yeah they're, they're not yeah i guess they're not direct they're direct competitors in some aspects, but in others, they will, you know, uh, pe- 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 every people can have has both. Their differences. I, I guess it's different in that you're not going to have. I mean, some people will choose one or the other, but you could definitely combine both and get more content. So, yeah.
0: Mm. All right, cool, nice one. Should we wrap things up?
1: Yes, we're. Uh, thanks, everyone, for for bearing with us over, uh, well, bearing with me <laughs> over the last uh, week, but. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm glad you're better uh, that's the main thing I'm not going to say anything to, to jinx us going forward um, but uh, we'll be back next week leave us a question uh, if you uh, if you have any questions uh, either on Spotify or on YouTube and uh, yeah we'll be back we'll be back next week so um, thanks for joining me as always Brandon and thanks oh to Chesside mate. for sponsoring we'll see you guys next week
0: see you later